Adam. I was connected with you rather quickly tonight. Is that you? <laughs> yeah. Dens, is that you? Who is, who is this? Pick the wrong number again. Who do you think it is? Nine o'clock on a Tuesday night? <laughs> it's ripe Adam time. Although that doesn't really apply to you because last week it was like 11.30. Because? I'm not sure. I don't think you actually expressed with me. I was at a conference. Okay. In Minnesota. I don't think that you didn't tell me that was why, though. But whatever. I don't want to waste energy on this. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 wait, waste energy elsewhere. Uh, Adam, do you want to introduce uh, your guest tonight to the audience? Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> one of my guests canceled. Uh huh. Keep going. The reschedule and another guest that I was talking with. Uh, I, another a potential guest I was talking with last night. Um about some of the details of our, our podcast and um and they're gonna they're gonna wait on on coming on. So tonight the guests are me and you. <laughs> you and I hmm. just can, can can you just you know be honest then with the audience that you dropped the ball, right? Yeah. It, uh, I had one guest scheduled, and you couldn't close the deal. Be honest, and I, you close the deal. And, and they they had to reschedule. But the person I was speaking with last night was, you know, a potential potential backup for the one that came, and that wasn't able to to go through. So right now, couldn't close the deal. Yeah. I couldn't close it out. I believe I, I believe I called you and told you that I couldn't close the deal. Is what I said. So oh. you're you're using my words, my own words against me now on, on my own podcast. <laughs> um, do you want to apologize to the audience? I mean, th- there were you know they're they're on this rotation of one week us, one week guest, and, and really feeling you know the, the flow. Of the podcast, and, and now that's changed uh, once again. I'm sincerely sorry to our make, listeners. Make amends. I, I'm sincerely sorry. I apologize to our listeners for um, dropping the ball, not being able to close the deal on a guest for this eve for this episode. And I'll do my I'll do a better job in the future hmm. with um with scheduling guests. Well, I'll do my I, very uh, best. Not happen ever again. I'll do my best. My very best. And I, I'm thinking like I could like <clears throat> I could have one of my personalities be a guest tonight or something. Right? <laughs> could do that. Mm, I don't like that idea. <laughs> All right. That that wasn't on the ideas board about this episode. <laughs> Listen, there was a lot of shit on our idea board that we that we haven't used yet. You know, it's it's, it's in the pipeline. You know, you, you got you got to you got to fit it in when when appropriate. It just can't be haphazard with this amazingly successful podcast. 
You know, I was thinking about it the other day. It is pretty successful. Keep going. According to, according to my expectations. <laughs> the, the bar was very low. <laughs> the bar was I mean, low. think about it. We're, we're on three platforms, right? Uh-huh. We have around 50-ish Spotify followers. Uh-huh. We're we're unaware of how many followers are on like through Apple and through Amazon. So we don't even know where we stand with that. <clears throat> we average overall when you look at the monthly the monthly listens, I mean we average you know pretty good number there, right? Mhm. Mhm. And um and I feel like we're we're in a no, we're in a good spot. We're in a good. Um, we have a good flow going. I feel like we get some good positive feedback from people. We're in multiple countries. Yes, you love saying that. You love that's your thing. The multiple countries thing. It's a big deal to you. Yeah. Yeah. It should be big deal um, for everybody. <laughs> um, yep. Positive feedback. One one constructive criticism feedback. I would call it. Yes. Yeah. Remember that one? Yeah, which really just changed, you know, the uh, the trajectory of this podcast. So we really greatly appreciate, uh, you know, the constructive feedback from our audience. We will definitely uh, apply it immediately to our next episode. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, what else? I mean. I still can't, I still, we still can't afford my, my Apple, my Mac computer to help us out with it. <laughs> we, 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 we are shy. $1,290. Yeah, we're getting there. Man. Little by slow, we're getting there. <laughs> um, after all the bills get paid too. I mean, come on. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> um, so yeah, for for the audience, I mean, we're we're, we're starting off kind of slow, but for me, if this is your first episode, uh, go back in history, listen to some of our other episodes. I think this is episode twenty seven, if I'm not kind of uh, mistaken. And I checked. So, um, it's so interesting that I was counting for a while and saying it every week, and then the minute I stop, kind of like saying it on air. You pick it up. You pick it right up. You know, smooth transition to you. You counting all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean that's that. That's how yeah. all great, you know, co-hosting <laughs> podcasts work. Yeah, you're a podcast specialist. That's what we have. <laughs> Put that on my resume. Podcast aficionado. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I checked Spotify, and so I mean, from our onset, which was I believe like January or February, uh, 2023. You know, we've had over 1,500 listens, you know, to our episodes. That's really good, I feel like. That's that's, that's really positive, you know. So, uh, yeah. greatly appreciate, you know, the, you know, the folks who tune in and listen. Uh, again, we want to make it worthwhile to you. It helps us. Um, we want to kind of keep the word alive uh, about, you know, recovery, addiction, uh, treatment. Um, and there's all these kind of like, you know, catchy thing september is national recovery month for us that's that's awesome that kind of highlights a good chunk of 
you know, why we're doing what we're doing, but like, you know, mm-hmm. we've been doing this now for nine consecutive months, roughly. And so we want to keep the message kind of going and, you know, um, not let it die down because, you know, next month is some other kind of month and people will kind of move on to, you know, whatever's kind of important in their lives. And so for us, you know, this is a very important topic, obviously, you know, for you, you know, living a lifestyle of recovery uh, and me being in the field and, and supporting people uh, achieving you know, sobriety or some level of recovery status. So I, I think that's, uh, you know, one of the main, for me, the main driving forces of, of like continuing this podcast and, 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 the, and, and the rhythm that we're kind of, you know, uh, into. So um, anyone who's new, anyone who's interested, uh, please reach out to us. If you're listening on Spotify, you can comment to the episode right in the episode. Um, but email us at the addict and the counselor at gmail.com. Uh, and we want to really incorporate, um, again, topics, things that we have not covered, uh, things that you think are happening in your life that you want us to kind of expand on. Uh, we're definitely up for like any kind of conversation type as I think our previous episode have shown, you know, we get personal, we get funny, you know, we get creative, we get political to a certain degree. Um, you know, we bring up, I think, you know, charging conversations like in and around the field that most likely others have experienced um, in some shape or form. And then we want to kind of bring some attention, you know, to it all um, and provides, you know, some level of hope with it all. So as Adam mentioned, you can listen to us on anywhere that you get your podcasting from uh so we're on spotify apple music uh apple podcast and amazon music uh, and the show is called the addict and the counselor yeah so what what do you want to what do you want to get into like i well, we, had, we had a topic a few weeks ago we had a topic that was that was on the radar that we were chatting about and we went with the other topic of what did we end up going with? Uh, I can't remember. It was the pay for treatment, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. So we ended up going with like the private for profit treatment versus nonprofit world and all that stuff and Mm -hmm. funky shit that can go on and, and different treatment, treatment worlds. Um, but the other topic, what was it? Um, something I about ethics or, um, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> what was it? Um, boundaries between staff and client and treatment. Oh, relationships. It was the relationships between client and treatment provider. Okay. All right. Um, do you want to? Do you want to get into that, or? You know? yeah, let, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. You start off. What? <laughs> How are you throwing me under the bus? <laughs> Why don't you start? Um. Okay. From so from treatment provider perspective for a number of years. Um, I, I always tried to have, have really tight boundaries and I would, I would pride myself off my, on my boundaries. I'd get compliments on it and 
sometimes clients would even say like you have real like they would notice that I have really really strong boundaries between you know my relationship with my relationship with clients in the in programs right mm-hmm. um, and even out like I would bump into clients outside of of work and I would wait for them to come up to me I, like all the time like I that's the way I was trained. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was trained to have really strong, tight boundaries with clients. Don't, you know, don't become friends with them when they discharge. I know, you, you know, I was told, you know, you're going to see them in, in meetings, you know, even in meetings. Like I was, I was trained to like, to, to have the boundary, you know? Um, and that's what I did for a number of years. Um, and through like, like the past, like, I would say from, you know, the past like few years that I was like in the trenches, like, you know, in programming, right. Um, I would say treatment evolved or changed a little bit in my opinion to with recovery coaching and the boundaries became a little more flexible or I, I thought in my opinion, like the boundaries were, you know, they weren't really existent in the same way. It was in for in a negative way, I was thinking, mm. you know. <clears throat> Can you give like an example per se about like where you think those kind of boundaries started to get blurry? Yeah. So like when I started seeing recover when recovery coaches came into and I'm not smashing, you know, I'm not putting down recovery coaching or whatever. They, they're, it's, a re- it's a really helpful mod- modality, you know, that's out there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it was first coming in, when it was first coming in recovery coaching and, um, and still to this day, the, the, the stuff that I noticed was like part of their, their job is to bring clients to meetings, like in their car. Right. And that's mm-hmm. like, goes against like everything that I was trained, right. As counselor. So crossing those boundaries. Now, right. So now I'm, I'm watching, you know, recover people that are, that are working for our treatment program, take clients out of treatment program and bring them to a meeting in their own vehicle, which I had to wrap my mind around a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm watching, and then they like part of recovery coaching is following them when they discharge. So like yeah. I'm in a meeting and I'm seeing a recovery coach that I work with with a, a former client of like that program, but they're not a former client anymore. They just got out like two months prior and had to wrap my mind around that. Right. Mm-hmm. They're hanging, you know, in my mind, they're hanging out with them. Right. And part of it is it's up to a recovery coach to have like the, whatever the recovery coach boundary is supposed to be with the client. I, I think Adam, that we should I actually think really, the audience, like, like the recovery coach is, is a, a new thing. There's a specific criteria to become a recovery coach. Yeah. You want to, you want to expand on it or. I'm not, I'm not exactly a hundred percent on the criteria. I wouldn't be able to spit that out for us right now. Yeah. So for, from, at least from a New Jersey perspective, and as you mentioned, it is kind of a, a new thing and the whole idea you know, behind like recovery support services and recovery coaching is that um, 
again, at least in New Jersey, it might be different in mass, but the person has to be in recovery themselves. Yeah. That's one criteria. Yeah. Second is, again, if we kind of can visualize, right, someone's using on the street, they overdose, e, you know, EMTs come, they rush them to the, you know, emergency room, right? They're getting the medical attention. The recovery support services are there, you know, within whatever capacity to go to emergency services and make that connection right then and there with someone to have the conversation about like, hey, do you realize you just overdosed? Yeah. Uh, I'm so-and-so, I'm a recovery coach, I'm a person in recovery, I want to talk to you about recovery or treatment or harm reduction. And so it immediately kind of brings that conversation in because the, the issue that our system has created is someone who overdoses comes to the hospital, they get revived, they get healthy, they're physically stable enough, the hospital discharges them to some shitty, loose aftercare plan, which someone in that kind of state isn't listening, isn't paying attention and off they go. And that kind of the cycle repeats itself. Uh, something else happens. So the recovery coaches that kind of bridge in between be like, Hey, you're here. Let's, let's possibly have this kind of conversation and really start having the conversation about like what treatment options or what options are available for the person since they're kind of in that state, if you will, of like relatively paying attention. Yep. So yeah, thanks for explaining that. I I remember, and this is a this might be a little off, but maybe off, maybe not. But like an example was like they they didn't have they they didn't have like I when I over one of the times that I overdosed, I went to I actually went was hospitalized. Right, I, mm-hmm. I overdosed a bazillion times, but I I've, I've been hospitalized twice. Right, yeah. and. I, I came to, you know, in the ambulance and I'm at Boston Medical Center and I'm in like the hallway area and I'm like, I'm getting the, I'm getting out of here. Right. I just unstrapped my, like I was strapped on this, on, you know, the, what do you call it? Thank you. I was strapped down and I just unbuckled and I'm like, I was just Narcan, three Narcans. Right. And I just unstrapped myself and I walked out like just like that. And I swear to God on my grandmother workers saw me and they just ignored me and pretended like they didn't see me because they didn't want to jail, you know? And, um, and you know, like, you know, maybe it wouldn't, it probably wouldn't have been, you know, maybe, maybe not, who knows, but like if there was a recovery coach right there, like that service, maybe, maybe it would have been helpful, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, yeah. the opportunity is that like, there's always room for conversation. I mean, we talked about, I think last episode or an episode before is that, you know, like, um, welcome centers for people to kind of get off the street, right? Those kinds of places are all opportunities to have conversations about you know, treatment options, you know, support services, et cetera. When that's void, you know, people are using kind of, you know, in a very destructive ways, uncertain, un, like unaware about like what options that they actually have, you know, for themselves, right? There's a lot of misinformation, even in the using community, especially active use about, you know, what, what access they have to care. And so that, again, that's another part is that like, yeah, a registered nurse in the ER dealing with 
a gunshot wound versus someone who just overdosed, right? That's going to draw someone's attention, you know, differently. Yeah. Um, and again, that recovery coach is to kind of like buffer that being like, Hey, I'm the advocate here and I'm going to, uh, you know, bring in the medical people, you know, appropriately into the conversation. And I, you know, focus on, you know, the person who's, um, who's on the gurney, who's suffering. Right. I think like to get into some of what, what bothers me about, about recovery coaching or where I think like the boundaries get, because let's face it, like not all recovery coaches are adhering to what the boundary guidelines probably should be or are. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think like what bothers me most is in a lot of instances, you have people that you have addicts in recovery for like six months clean and they're going out to get recovery certificate, recovery coaching certificate. And now you have someone with 10 months, 11, 12, you know, a year clean mm -hmm. providing a service to, and you know, an extremely, you know, a day clean addict or whatever. Like right. A vulnerable and, population. Right. A very vulnerable population. And they don't have the skill set yet to really be able to hold like a good boundary with someone who they're over identifying with off the rip because of their addiction, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, like that's one of the things when I, when I first got into the field was be careful, you know, be mindful and acknowledge the over identification with the patient. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, identify and because I'm with them the client quite a bit and doing treatment firm I be, I end up over identifying with them and that's when people get into boundary issues mm -hmm. right um, so it bothers me that there's not like people like at least I guess longer clean time but I don't I don't even think that's it like it's so much yeah, I think it's like proper training like experience in the field or yeah, training is there's more of that that's needed probably. And I, I think you know between you and I, you know, we we have this kind of conversation like offline and how I kind of feel about over identifying someone in recovery in being able to automatically connect with someone in that kind of desperate like the philosophy behind it. I think is beautiful. But again, for someone like me, not in recovery, but have been in the field and have had, you know, in my definition, success, you know, working with people to achieve, you know, some level of recovery status or whatever. Um, mm. I think that's where this kind of also thinks like, how cool would it be? Like if we talked about like a recovery coach is like, yes, have someone who's a recovery coach who has kind of like, you know, on the ground level training, but then with them have someone who has that strong clinical uh, mm. experience, either someone who is in recovery or not in recovery and really like tag team, um, <clears throat> you know, those yeah. kinds of conversations so that each person is kind of holding each other accountable. I think you, know, you and I, and I, you know, talked about, you know, this subject, right. And um, I want to, I want to let you finish, but like, I'm going to talk about like boundaries issues that happen in the field fairly regularly um, that I think potential clients need to be aware of because uh, it can't, it, it's, it will be harmful to you, the, the, the person seeking treatment. Um, and then the person and, who's doing it is 
equally unhealthy or inappropriate. Right. So, so yeah, this is, you know, this, this is, um, something that is very important to talk about for sure. Um, now I see it from the other perspective as, as a, as a patient, as a client going in and out of treatment for a few years now, Mm -hmm. now I see it in another, you know, a vulnerable way. Right. (laughs) So I think I told you, like, I I don't think I wanted to go into this topic like a month ago, whenever we were bringing it up. Yeah. Yeah. My preference was the other topic, because in this topic, if I'm in, you know, I'm thinking of myself as the patient, right? Yeah. And if I'm thinking if I'm, if I'm the patient in treatment, and there's a, there's a staff that, um, you know, is not holding a good boundary with me, like, I'm all over that, I'm taking advantage of that, I'm manipulating it um, best I can, because I'm looking to get something out of that that person that has the weak boundary as a professional, right? Yeah. So that's how, you know, that's how I see it. I, I can see it now from that perspective more because I've been in and out so much. And there's been times where I have, um, you know, been in those situations, you know, and I've seen it tons of times, those yeah. types of, that type of thing. Right. Um, and then I care about it, you know? Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I think uh, here's what I want to kind of share to the audience, right? And I, yeah. I you and I know what you know very well, and I, and I think there's still some relative truth to this um, today. I, I don't think you know um, the current times, you know, necessarily you know change anything, but there was a, a relative historic um, survey taken by psychiatrists across the u.s do you know where i'm going with this not yet all right so again this is a this is a a research study so it's not just like an arbitrary like you know check off someone did a study about uh psychiatry right psychiatrists or the medical doctors trained in psychiatry um and the question the questions were surrounding about inappropriate relationships with clientele and it was a completely anonymous survey so um you know everything was kind of taken away so people can generally be honest and the results of that survey were that more than 50 percent of the psychiatrists surveyed across the united states admitted Uh, having inappropriate sexual relationships with their clientele that's more than 50 percent i forgot about this yeah and when they, the second question was, you know, explain your reasoning for kind of crossing those boundaries. And the number one report was the psychiatrist felt that by, by engaging in inappropriate sexual contact with the client is showing them appropriate sexual contact. Modeling it? Yeah. Model appropriate. Yeah. That was the response? Yeah. I didn't remember. I didn't remember that being the response, but I or I didn't know ever know it. That that's that's wild, man. So you know, Google it. You know, it it, it probably is a research that is easily accessible. To, you know, to the population. <clears throat> but again, what year was this? Oh God, this is. I mean, I heard this when you know when I was in grad school. So this is like 
early 2000s. So the survey was probably done like 10 years, 15, you know, 20 years within that range. So yeah. we're, we're going back like, you know, 30, 90, 90, 95. Yeah. You know, you know so it's not, not, not too old, old, but again, I, honestly, if you did that survey today, those numbers probably wouldn't shift <laughs> all that much. And yeah. we're talking about <clears throat> doctors who've gone to medical school and had all more training than anyone right. else combined who right. still take, you know, certain, you know, risks and again boundaries you know being inappropriate does not necessarily shift because someone has a, a formal education or, that's or so, that's, i mean that makes me i mean that makes me think that the numbers in like the substance use treatment world is like you know if you're saying it's over 50 percent for medical for a psychiatrist who's yeah. in medical school right i'm thinking in the substance abuse world like it's 70% easy then if that's the case. Right. I mean, because there's just, it's too, I don't know. Addiction's too complex in a different, it's a different, it's a different beast, you know? So like, I just feel like it would be higher in, in substance abuse. Do you, you I mean, know what I'm saying? I, I, I do. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, but it's also unfair to say because, you know, that, that needs to be, you know, researched either like geographically or nationally. It's just to really put out an anonymous survey to treatment, you know, providers, you know, therapists like me and other forms uh, of providers and and really ask like, Hey, has this kind of, you know, ever kind of happened? I actually want to talk a couple about a couple of boundary related things that I experienced in the field of addictions that like, it's not always sexual <laughs> in nature. Yeah. There's other, like you said, like when you, I, you know, as a client in a treatment program, once you identify a, a staff member who has shaky boundaries, like you're, you're going to go and attack that, right? You're going to get something out I of it. I have an example. I have an example too, but yeah, I, that I shared with someone, a friend of mine the other day, actually, but go ahead share yours. Yeah. So this was, I mean, no excuse, you know, but it was early on in my career and um, <laughs> the place that I was working at, um, actually a friend that I knew growing up uh, came through that treatment program. Uh, I didn't provide therapy for them. Of, of course, you know, that's in- inappropriate, but, you know, um, I would, you know, you know, communicate like in hallways and, and other kind of, you know, settings, uh, whatnot. And, you know, the person, you know, was not doing well in treatment, right? You know, um, still, you know, using other substances, maybe not the primary drug of choice. And so, again, in that setting, it was me, the professional, and that person, the, the client. And so they came up to me one day and was, you know, and I knew it. Like, they were jammed out of their minds, you know. Um, you know, they were on all types of, like, pills, made this lame excuse that they had quote unquote run out of gas um, and they needed like X amount of dollars to like get back home or whatever. And so I didn't look at them as a client. I looked at them as someone that I knew personally. And so I was like, yeah, okay. Like, you know, here's, you know, five bucks or 10 bucks and kind of off they went. I necessarily didn't feel all too guilty about it. I cannot say I didn't talk about it in supervision, which is, you know, probably the you know, biggest red flag but that person then 
you know, was developing like a friendship with another person in the same program. And then that person told that other client that I gave them money. And so what ended up happening is that client came to me and was just like, Hey, I heard that you gave so-and-so money. I'm struggling. Same excuse. Like I'm running, like I don't have gas money or whatever. And so once again, boundaries, I, um, you know, I took money out of my wallet and, you know, gave this person like X amount of dollars. Um, yeah. and, I, and again, I knew that they were not doing well. I knew like the money was possibly most likely going to some level of, you know, uh, you know, drug use or, or, or whatever. Um, and I was just like, shoot, like <laughs> I have to like be distant away from that somehow, some way. Uh, yeah. And I really reflected on that because like in other aspects of like like you said like my training was really about the clinician not self-disclosing most if any parts of their own life and really making it about the client about any and all kind of conversations topics i disagree with that today but you know this was like you know 15 18 years ago you know when, when i first kind of got into the field you know so that was one thing that kind of still sticks out about shaky boundaries and oh again if when you know someone in treatment in your personal life you know um i know people who initially met their significant other in treatment or incarceration and then they kind of ran into each other in some like you know self-help recovery um and people are married today still after x amount of years so like it's not always i guess like unhealthy way, but like the dynamic of how you meet the person changes the kind of uh, the landscape. Um, And it was another incident where I was same program early on in my career. Um, A young woman, probably the same age as me, I think at that point, uh, opioid dependent um, really did some good work. I mean, you know, the client was, you know, really confused about addiction, how them, whatever, um, but like every week or like every now and again, they would bring in a gift. Like, oh, you know, you really helped me out. Like, here's this candle. I'm like, um, and I think you'll, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this one. Um, I don't. I probably self-disclosed. Um, they asked, like, you know, where I buy my professional clothes, and uh, I banana no. republic. Yeah, I know. So a week later. Like it wasn't like she came with like a bag of like banana republic clothes and had like you know like a v-neck and like a tank top or whatever and she's like oh you're not you're helping me out so much and i'm I'm doing so much better and whatever and this is like my show of appreciation like those like that client per- particularly i did yeah. have a conversation with my uh supervisor and i said this is what's yeah. kind of happening and you know i was supervised on how to kind of handle that conversation um, yeah. Again, it, it, right? It, it's that vulnerability for the staff member to talk about it openly, honestly, with a you know, trusted supervisor uh, to kind of like work through it. Because, as you mentioned, like that in addiction, there is a lot of that kind of gaining information, personal information, some form of like manipulation, trickery, doing something pseudo rule wise. Um, and then seeing how far it can kind of, uh, you know, go. So, uh, yeah. Do you, 
Do, now, you remember, like, I used to, I used to buy Banana Republic too, right? Especially like before I got married and early on in my marriage, I, I was a Banana Republic guy, and then, you know, as you know. As time went on, you know, with, you know, budgeting money and stuff, I got away from Banana Republic and J. Crew, right? Those are my spots. But do you remember, I like, I pride, I, I took a lot of pride in how I dressed when I was working with you. Yeah. I, you did too. And, you know, just by, you know, you sharing there, I could, you know, sense your pride, right? And... Do you remember we had like this thing, like this competition of who was like a better dressed worker? Do you remember? <laughs> yes. Do you remember this? And we br finally, I brought in like one of the workers into like the office. We didn't share an office, but I think they came into our, my office yeah. that I was sharing with someone. And you were in there. And I'm like, hey, so-and-so, who do you think dresses better? And I was so fucking pissed. I was so pissed. Because they said you. <laughs> and uh, I was so irritated. And that bothered me to the core. To the core. I'm trying so hard. <laughs> Notice me. And I even went at the worker, like, for the next few days at least. Like, I went at the worker. I'm like, are you telling me, like, I don't, like, like I don't dress nice? You don't think I, I'm, like, I... You know, I'm a stylish, you know, I'm stylish is what I was saying. And they're like, no, you just dress regular. You know, you, you have your dress shirt, your dress pants. And that's that's pretty much the deal. Like as far as like styling, Barbaros is better at styling. I'm like, what the? I was so heated, dude. I was so heated. <laughs> I'm still heated to this day, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you did. It's funny that you do remember that, though. Yeah. No, I, again, like, you know, for us, like our connection in working in the Danvers treatment program, right, is that, you know, we're similar in age, we're similar in height, you know, we're, we're similar in stature, like our education is relatively like equal, like family life is relatively like there's so many like equalities of like our lived experience. Like, yeah. of course, like you addiction, me not addiction and all the other stuff. Um, but yeah. even something as simpler as like, we both, you know, look at like Banana Republic, like professional clothing as like nice clothing, like cool clothing that we would like, you know, spend our hard earned money on. So like not everyone, you know, thinks like that or whatever. Right. So I think just like all those like little things, you know, I think really, you know, bonded us, you know, together yeah. and you know, probably the reason why we're still friends. Yeah. 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 Funny. Um, but I, what was I gonna say? I was gonna, I was gonna say something too about our topic here. Boundaries. Yeah. Um, Being tested. Testing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was. I had something like while you were sharing, but I it got overtaken by the by the clothes stuff, by the, <laughs> you know, the fashion stuff. So I don't know where that thought went now, but. Um, I will say that um, I'll share an experience that I had, you know, coming when when a patient is in and out of a treatment program, like the same one, like frequently, mm -hmm. you, get, you, you end up like breaking down boundaries a little bit with the staff, you know, because like now I'm a regular 
and they, you know, they, know, you know, they're getting to know me more and more, and they're becoming looser with their boundaries. Some of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, I was in, I'm, I'm in, you know, my spot there in Haverhill, and um, there was a, there was a girl there that I was interested in, right? Another patient, another patient, right? And her room was on another floor than where my room was. I was like on the third floor, right? I wasn't in like the Adam suite that they, that I was, you know, I eventually got. (laughs) I was on like the third floor and like she was on another floor. I forget what floor. And I'm like, how can I get this person? How can I get her like closer to me? You know, like, I, the room next to me became opened at some point during our stay. Okay. So now I have this open room, like next, right next door to me. Right. Like, huh. I, I go, I go after the, like the, you know, one of the, the, um, the staff, like a weak link, you know, as far as like boundaries. Right. And I go, Hey, why don't you move so-and-so to room 304, which I'm 303, because mm-hmm. they want to move, is what I say, right? They're like, great idea. Next thing you know it, they're, they moved, they moved her right next to me, dude. Because <laughs> I told them to, basically. Because <laughs> I told them to. That's like perfect. That's I feel like that's a good example of like clients manipulating in treatment because of poor bound when staff have poor boundaries, you know. And and, like and, to that, <laughs> and and to like like again, you kind of stated in like why you did what you did, right? Was obviously like you said you were like attracted, like right. Well, like in the general scheme of things, like what's the benefit of a client, like manipulating a staff member to get whatever they want and like i mean you you remember and and, and i i hope the audience gets a kick out of this <laughs> so again you know in danvers you know they had multiple programs under one roof and one policy was that anyone who kind of enters the program you kind of have to go through like a personal belongings check they can only bring x amount of like clothes onto the unit and whatnot like personal hygiene products uh, very little things were kind of approved 99.9% of the arguments that we used to get into yeah. was with males bringing in hair products. The <laughs> women would give up their <laughs> eyeliner and lipstick yeah. and lotions like yeah. freely. The men would be amazingly obsessed and they would do anything. <laughs> I have this con- hair condition. I need to do this. It's a part of my self-esteem. And if you take yeah. it away, like, Anything you can think of, but oh I want you to visualize that it was men who were just shooting heroin in an alleyway well, less than 24 hours ago. And the most important thing to them at that point was well, I need hair gel. You know, my shtick that I learned when I was trying to get something that would like, like something like that, for example, you know, my shtick would my, my spiel would say to the staff. Yeah, I may have been on the streets shooting dope a couple of days ago, but now I'm in recovery and I can care about how I look and how I, you know, what I do. <laughs> That's what my, my spiel would be. Manipulative spiel, you know. 
and did it work? Not usually. Not usually. <laughs> it, it works in longer term care. You know, like if you're in, if I was in sober living and like there was, you know, cockroaches or something, they, they would say two months ago you were out on the street. Yeah, well, today I, I really don't have to live like that. Like, I'm choosing not to. You know what I mean? Like, it's different. Like, when you have, like, a little, like, even a month clean. But if you're in, like, a week, you know, three days in detox and you're saying that, it, more than likely it's not going to work. <laughs> you, yeah. know? you know? But, so, so, yeah, so I, so I think about, you know, the boundaries kind of, you know, conversation is, you know, I think it's really, really important. Again, for, for both sides of it, and I think people who listen to this podcast you know, either, you know, work in the field or sober themselves or, you know, again, interested in working in the field or, you know, you know, people in recovery and, and working in other fields. But this thing kind of happens. And uh, like many years ago, actually, I I did an impromptu group um, and I kind of switched it up and I said, let's talk about like treatment ethics and boundaries. Let's talk about like what good treatment like looks like. Mm. And one of the conversations I said is, I, you know, I said, like, on a show of hands, how many people have had like inappropriate contact with treatment providers? And if honestly, if there was like 12 people in the room, like 10 people raised their hands. I was like, all right, anyone feel comfortable in sharing? And so those, you know, one person male who talked about getting like a therapist, maybe not their therapist, but a treatment provider, their personal cell phone number as, as a way of like making an intimate, you know, contact, even though this person on the outside was already in a relationship that they already knew about. So like, yeah. So many levels there uh, that kind of occur. And I, you know, yeah. as many schools have thought about like self-disclosure and stuff like that. I, but I remember know. one of the, one of the things that my supervisor early on, um, yeah, it was Steve. It was Steve would always say, um, you know, that he would say, before you self-disclose, ask yourself, how will this, me disclosing that, yeah how is this going to be useful to the client or is it going to be useful to, for the patient to hear this, you know, or is it, or is it more about me? You know, am I unloading my stuff onto the clients? Right. You know, I, I, I really, like, I really be, like, I really believe there should be like, there would, <laughs> there should be more of, um, uh, you can't like verify like it's, it's such an interesting field because you can't like verify someone's recovery you know like you don't you don't know what you're what you're getting when you know you're hiring someone you know that that's in recovery you don't know like where they're at in their process so to speak and so well, there's also legal questions that you can't ask someone upon an interview recovery status as, well, as a field. however though on many job descriptions it it will say now must have one a minimum of one year sobriety it'll say that i've seen this a million times now but no way verifying not, though. Not, no right, but they cannot ask that they can't ask you how long you've been sober or anything you know they shouldn't anyways um but yeah there's no way of verifying it unless they were in your treatment pro the treatment program that they're applying for a job and they can just work in the system you know but yeah yeah, it's just, yeah, I have so many, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty, like, rigid, or I, I, I really think, like, there should be, like, something to, 
to weed out like uh, I don't know I don't know I, I'm just because it's sick pe it's a lot of sick people helping yeah. sick people that's what it is let me just say it it's a lot of sick people helping sick people in in that field specifically you know and again I'm I'm, I'm really be you know specific here is that it's not just people in recovery working in recovery programs it's people not in recovery working recovery programs that kind of things align and i just like a, like a side note right is that i you know i'm sure our audience and i know i found it you know comical but do you remember that incident i, I think there's a movie about it or at least a documentary about uh, the social worker in the jail that helped the inmate like escape and yeah. they had the whole thing. Do yeah. you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So like that person in the career didn't say, I'm going to violate every ethical boundary I've ever been taught in my professional and personal career. Like something shifts in people somehow, some way that begins to kind of slide. Let it be kind of unbeknownst to them. Let it be an intentional move on their behalf. And it just progresses and progresses and progresses until something like major happens. Well, like they have sex with a client on a unit well, they get caught with, you know, so, whatever the case is. So Bob like, on, I'll be honest, like, and I started to share this. I started to go there earlier when we were talking, but I, I didn't wind up there. But when when the recovery coaching stuff started to happen and a little little time went by and I saw like I saw now I saw like like staff giving out their phone numbers to clients and stuff like regular staff not recovery and it be and it became like okay in some way it became acceptable okay something like that and I started to become looser on my boundaries and what I it was compromising my own you know belief you know, I'm like, yeah. oh, everyone's doing this. This, yeah. is this is where treatment has evolved to. This is what my mind is telling me, right? You know, treatment is evolving into this way. It's going in this direction. And it's more peer-to-peer. -peer. It's more self-disclosure. It's more of, you know, let me help you in any way possible type of thinking. Like, this is where my mind was going with it, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Still, it's st it's 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 more like that than, than I've ever, I've ever seen probably with like s staff and, you know, giving out yeah. contact info and stuff. And I don't know. Yeah, social media. I, don't, I mean, that's another ball game that kind of plays. Like, out some of it, like some of it work, like, like you, you said too, like some of it works out. Some of it is horrible. And then, you know, you don't know there's different degrees of how things are going to go. Right. Like, some staff, you know, you like I may get someone a staff's number and become like, like really good friends with them, and it works out, right? But and then in another direction, some really fucked up shit can happen. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, yeah. No, and, and and you know, even a, a place that I was working at, and it wasn't you know, uh, while I was there, I think it happened like maybe a few years before, but like a nurse, right? Again. A nurse lots of like credibility in, in the field and they were they had like a, a bartering relationship with a client like mm -hmm. um the client needed something like personal the the, the nurse would do that and then I, there was like an incident about like 
a bicycle repair or something like that. And the client worked for that and they took that and and didn't charge them. Like all these like little nuances that kind of happen. And again, it it really is with any scope of the care, like for managers to front line staff, to recovery coaches, to psychiatry, to like therapy. Um, It's, it's all present. And I would encourage family members, you know, even, treatment seekers themselves like these things will affect your recovery some shape or some form and you really want like upstanding citizens to take care of you right if you had a like if you were in the er and you were gushing blood you don't want someone to like ignore that right or you know bandage your head when it's your wrist that's bleeding Right. Like, that's the same notion of, of this, like being treated, you know, with respect and dignity, uh, regardless of what state you're in and always remaining that, you know, you know, client care is the reason why we do what we do yeah. uh, and nothing else will jeopardize that. Um, and so, like, you know, as as a manager in the field, you know, when I supervise people, you know, I heavily, heavily talk about um you know, those kind of connections and sometimes like how we blur them, when do we blur them, how to develop boundaries, you know, so on and so forth. Right. Um, really, really helps kind of early on people kind of develop the sense of like, what can I share? When do I not share it? When do I pull back? Um, right. it, it's all a part of the conversation. It was, it's interesting too, while we're, that we have this topic tonight, because I, I just thought of it now, but at the meeting that I was at tonight, there was a person in the meeting that raised their hand like at the tail end of the meeting there was a few minutes left they got their hand up to share and he shared about the person shared about um they've been working in the field for a couple years and they haven't been to a meeting in over a year and what they said was like the the first thing that i tell i used to tell new employees when they came on if they were in recovery if they disclosed that to me i would say Whatever you do, I recommend. I highly recommend that you do not make your job your recovery. And this person shared in the meeting, I've been making, I've been seeing my job as like my recovery. And then he caught himself, or he realized, or he knew. He said, "And I know you shouldn't do that." <laughs> like that, mm-hmm. right? Now, you know, like acknowledged it, um, which I found interesting. I wasn't expecting that piece, you know. Um, you, even our, our, our last guest, uh, I should have made that comment when, you know, she completed a treatment program and then she started working there and then she started dropping off on meetings because, you know, she was in the recovery environment, you know, yeah. all day and night. And so uh, that really, you know, impacted her. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That, was, that was the number one, like that was one of the, num- like the number one thing I would see early on in the field of new people coming in was they literally made their job or their recovery. And that's, that's a burnout waiting to happen. That's your, you know, person's recovery going down, you know, going back. So that's total red flag. If that, if that's their recovery, you know, yeah, early on, make sure you separate that. Make sure the job is, and we've talked about it on here before, you know, the job is the job recoveries your recovery yeah. two different things self-care yeah out of work yeah no for sure um anything else before we uh wrap this episode i think i've, I've said everything that i 
It's on my heart. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, you know, for, for both of us, um, you know, we share the good and this part is, you know, the not so good that, you know, we've seen with our own eyes um, and we want to kind of shed some light to it. And so people don't get harmed either voluntarily or involuntarily. What should um, we look for? Like if a, a stat, like if you're a client, you know, in treatment, you're not fully, I mean, you're not, you're in addictive mindset. So like for the client themselves, to identify what's going on they probably they a lot of times they may not see it right um so maybe it's more for family members or support outside the rehab that they're talking with i don't i don't know i'm just just, yeah i mean i I think one one thing i heard especially from like the, the the therapeutic side of things is like you know if you're in treatment or some kind of like addiction like therapy whatever it might be if the therapist is talking way more than you yeah. Or you know more about them than they know about you. That's a huge red flag. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That that should be something you're like, hey, you know, I'm the one paying your salary, and you're burdening me with like your story. Um, yeah. And again, not like generic story or like like <clears throat> a, a macro version of it, but like you know, details of like where their children go to school, and you know, like you know, what kind of car they drive, like all those like descriptive type of stuff, you know, be, you know, very, very aware of. And again, you know, keep your guard up a lot, you know, just like what we're saying, don't blur those lines. And for a client as much as possible, like it it will not work out for you. However much that you think they're the perfect person in your life, if it's meant to be, it will happen naturally, organically, you know, without it, you know, um, you know, causing any kind of, you know, issues. There are some legalities uh, for people like me, like with clinical licensure. But um, I, I think you separate those two worlds. Um, you know, people in recovery um, will find appropriate love, and that love sh- probably should not come from the treatment provider. <laughs> uh, it should not come from the treatment provider in any capacity, you know, whatsoever. Um, and so, you know, give yourself a chance and you know, you know, when we talk about the road that is kind of straight and narrow, this, this also means like that aspect of it, you know, finding love and, you know, and who do you go after and what, what's your pursuit and who pursues you um, are all like, you know, major kind of components to like wellness as a whole. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Barbaros. Very good. Uh Um, Hey, do you want do you want me to confirm my guess for next week to just pick it up? Because I can I can do that. I'm pretty sure to redeem myself. Um, uh, we'll see. I mean, it's it's a week away. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to drop the ball again or whatever. I, I, I don't put that much pressure on you. All right. I'm going to tell our listeners we're going to have a guest next week, and they are going to be great. Super, super happy. All right. All right. All right. Um, you you want to do the music? <laughs> Don't laugh. Yeah. So 
Thank you for the transition music. This is the part of the segment that we affectionately call the five controversies, where I throw out generally two options, and then um, Adam does not follow the rules like he usually doesn't do. Uh, yeah. and have a little bit of a debate. Please rule, feel free to kind of rule breaker. Yeah. Rule breaker. Yeah. Rule breaker. N- notorious line yeah, stuffer. Rules are meant to be broken type of guy, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, play at home you know play with your friends uh, I, I think it, it it sparks healthy uh debate uh I, you know i that's kind of what what the attention is that you know we're, we're not all uh the, the same and that can be okay yeah um all right first one um red or purple gatorade red gatorade in a reason for your answer? Thinks it, I just think it tastes better. It's as simple as that. Mm. Um, a little, you know, it's fruit punchy a little bit, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I go purple. Um, I'm surprised. I, there's something visual about the color purple drink <laughs> that when you said, like, just the way, for me, for some, and it's not true, zero, zero truth to this, but it yeah. tastes sweeter than all the other colors. Hmm. So I lean towards the fake oh. sugar process of purple Gatorade over red Gatorade. Okay. Yeah. All right. That wasn't a very good controversy, but whatever. <laughs> I love how like you're rating them now. It's a controversy, but it just wasn't a very good one. But God, move Shut up. Uh, this one I think is, is is a fairly good one. Um, family Guy versus Simpsons. Simpsons. I can't do it. I can't do it. That's not. Is that it? No, of course not. The Simpsons. Now that was it, right? Did I get it? Is your is your answer the Simpsons? My answer is the Simpsons that are on like thirty one years straight now, going with new episodes coming out every fucking day. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I go with the Simpsons. I had it on the other day randomly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, Simpsons have been around longer. Family Guy, not as long. Um, obviously. Obviously. But if both of them are on, regardless of new episode or repeat, <clears throat> Family Guy, 100%. I have oh, not watched a repeat of this episode in probably 10, 15 years. Oh, it's true. It's true. Uh, Family Guy, though, like I like sat down on my couch and be like, oh, there's nothing on TV. <laughs> Family Guy's on. I'm going to watch a few episodes back to back and what, what, is it again? what is it that you have against against Bart? I mean I I because I related to like a younger version of myself, like the the comedy is a little more what? <laughs> younger. Like Family Guy really like puts raunchy stuff like out there like it like it'll catch me off guard. Like the Simpsons I don't like for so, some time, like I wasn't getting like 
caught off guard by the yeah. like their... maybe maybe I do it more for uh, maybe I like the Simpsons just based out of like more for like the nostalgia of it. Sure. Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, all right. Yeah. All right, not the worst controversy, that's for sure. <laughs> Fuck off, asshole. Can we do can we do one of mine? You're gonna go off the rip right now? Surprise one that I have. Oh, I have I have to freaking write it down. You ready? All right, go. All right. <laughs> I think this is the first time that I'm gonna actually do one. Beyonce or T Swift? Go. <laughs> This is so stupid. <clears throat> and by T Swift, you mean Taylor Swift? Yes, obvi- obviously. Obviously. <laughs> what, what's your choice? No, you go first. I asked, so you. Go- oh, is that the way we're gonna work it? Yeah. Uh, I I can openly and honestly say there is probably less than three songs of Taylor Swift that if it comes on, I will let it ride all the way through. Um, Beyonce, a little more my speed, a little more kind of, you know, musical, a little more kind of like upbeat, a little more in the kind of hip-hop realm. Um, Neither one of them have I ever listened to a singular album. So that also says where I am with either one of these controversies. Okay. Thank you for playing. And you, Adam? T Swift all the way. Are you kidding me? It's not someone even said it's not even fair out there in the in this world to compare anyone else to Swift. You can't even do it. Like, it's not fair to anyone else. Like, everyone else is in their own category. Sure, Beyonce is the queen bee, blah, blah, blah. T-Swift is the queen. She's the mother. She's the mother, okay? And what you're doing right now is phenomenal stuff. It's, It's amazing, okay? It's amazing. And I will let... I, I will play Taylor Swift songs on repeat, okay? On repeat. And sure, I'll, you know, someone might ask me what my favorite song is. Well, what I end up doing is for three weeks, I play out like one or two of her songs, and then I move on to like another fave that I will overplay for three weeks. And that's what I do. Right now, it's You're On Your Own Kid, which is an amazing tune. If you haven't heard it, I recommend everyone listen to it. Um, and that, and I do like um, um, Bejeweled. I do like it. It is a little bit girly, but I love when she says, I polish up real. I polish up real nice. And then 30 seconds later, you hear them repeat, nice, like that. It's so good. Wow. So good. Wow. Yeah, that is just art right there. And we're moving on to uh, controversy number four for tonight. Um, BMW versus Mercedes. 
You've had this one before. I know you have. I know you've done this one. Um, I'll go in the archives. I have not had this one. Oh, my God. I know you have. I've said Beamer before on here. I've said it. Just because you say Beamer doesn't mean there was a freaking controversy. It's Beamer. It's Beamer. When I turned, when I was, it was, must have been my 17th birthday. My, my, um. My like I like my friends knew that I love Beamers, right? And my friend Rosemary set it up for me to drive her neighbor's Beamer on my seventeenth birthday. Yeah, okay. no, we never had a controversy for BMW versus Mercedes. I just looked in the archives. Maybe it was just at you know it was just taught then. Okay, all right, okay. okay, but yeah, that's how much I love Beamers. Mm-hmm. Beamers uh-huh. are not. Beamers are more are, are, are more slick. They're more sleek. That's the word. They're more. They're more sleek. They're not as flashy as the Benz, right? Mm. You got a Benz, like you know, it, it's different. It's a different ball. You know, it's fla- It's too flashy for me. You know. Okay. <laughs> um that doesn't mean i'll turn down a benz if someone has one out there for me okay that does not mean that whatsoever and a, a, a even, free even though i love beamers we will do mercedes advertisements if they want us to and don't we have a connection with mercedes or something i don't know i i will go there once it's my turn to speak i'm done you're done <laughs> thank you uh <laughs> So, one be- Beamer that I absolutely love, and if I see it on the road anytime, any place, I'm like, that is an amazing car. The M3, the older body model, mm. uh, the big fat tires, uh, back t- uh, rear tires, yeah. I think is the best Merce- uh, best BMW they've absolutely ever made. I just like it's it's sporty. It's still four door. Some of them uh, are more flashy than others, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even when um, I think it was, um, I mean, confusing it. Then like, yeah, BMW started getting into like you know the hatchback SUVs and like the rounded stuff. They still have a good good product. Um, I've never owned either one of them. Um, my father, for as long as I can remember, was always like passionate about Mercedes. Um, you know, always wanted one. He eventually got one, you know, later on in life and everything like that. And so like, I have that as a part of the notion. And for some of the audience, uh, my wife worked for the headquarters of Mercedes when they were here in New Jersey and when we got together and I relocated because of her stable job at Mercedes, I was like, oh, my God, for the first time in my life, my entire life, not only <clears throat> am I going to drive a new car, I'm going to drive a Mercedes because they had perks with their employees about, like, you know, getting leases. And within the first year that I was here, um, Mercedes relocated to uh, Georgia. Yeah. So even though I got to drive one because I you know, got one even after they left, you know, we had leased it for, I think, a, a few years. I myself never got to to have that. So that's a personal story about Mercedes. But I am team Mercedes if I were to pick um, yeah. either. Yeah. All right. And again, uh, for the BMW yeah. folks, if you want to give me a BMW, I will gladly advertise it and, and drive it um, with passion. Right. 
Right. And we would share the Beamer. If, like, they just gave it to one of us, we would share it. Like, I'll have it for a month, and you'll have it for a couple weeks. And then I'll have Yeah, we're, we're equal opportunity here at uh, the Addict and the Counselor. Right. We, we, we would just need one. We wouldn't need two. Just yeah. Two is great. Two would be oh. awesome. Too. Yeah, it would be great. We'll make one work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Last one, uh, a little change up here. Mm. So, in terms of organization, yeah. Which is a better organization? NFL versus NBA versus MLB versus NHL? Oh my God. Four of them? Four. Better product. You're asking me better product? Better product, better organization, better run, whatever. However you want to break it down. I will say that it goes. I will give the order. That's what I'm going to do with my time right now. I'm going to give NFL, then it's NHL, then it's NBA, and then it's MLB. And I like MLB. To I, I'll watch baseball all day long too. I'm a baseball watcher. Okay, but I put them at the bottom as as a product. Okay, so NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB. You got that? Got it. Got it. Check. Check. <laughs> um, you, I mean, you agree. You agree with me? I I don't agree with you. And here's the rationale. The NFL package-wise, I think, like as you mentioned, is a, is a better product. I think a part of the reason why is there's only 17 regular season games. Right. So you got to jam-pack it in. you got to make sure. And then after a certain, like, you know, after the first four games, like every single game is a crucial game. Right. Yep. I would then choose NBA's number two. If you look at the like the ownership split versus the players, NBA I think is one of the better like leagues that has like equal money divvied up between ownership and NBA. Like yeah. NFL is actually like one of the worst right. of it all. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> MLB and NHL. I'm not a hockey person. That's definitely like last on my list. But I I, I would almost give them a tie because. Mm-hmm. Also, in comparative to like the NBA, the season is so damn long. Like, there's no way you can track like a hundred something regular season games yeah. of like, MLB. Like, I don't know how many like NHL has, but like, it just seems like the season lasts like forever in a, in a day. So, like, I lose like interest. Like, MLB, like, I'll pay attention after the All Star game, the Red Sox, see how well they do. Yeah. Like, I'm like, June, July, like depending on what the Red Sox do, I'll either, like pursue it. You know, we or... fired our GM, right? Yeah, yeah, good riddance. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that that's that that's my order. I I would say so. It's slightly different than yours, but yeah. NFL was first. Yeah. All right. All right. I like it. Thank God, Bloom's out of there, though. Oh man. Huh? Thank God, Heim, Bloom. The GM, thank God they fired his ass. But really, the whole organization needs an overhauling. You know, people don't actually care about the team, you know. But anyways, that's a whole different episode. Yeah. Or maybe it's not even an episode, actually. All right. (laughs) Um, 
So thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the controversies. We get a lot of hits on the controversies. So keep them coming. If you have something that you feel are passionate, email us, contact us. We get more hits on the the controversy than the the main content. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take it. Yeah, we'll we'll take it. So I really appreciate, you know, the listens, uh, the follows. Um, You know, please follow us. Please listen to us on all podcasts. Uh, platforms. Uh, What's our email, email again, Favros? Who's that? What's our email again? The addict and the counselor at gmail.com. The right. addict counselor at gmail.com. All right. And for those that listen uh, on Spotify, please feel free to leave a comment on what you thought about the episode. There's a comment section there for those that listen. Appreciate any and all feedback. Yeah. Don't be shy, positive or negative. We will take it all. Yep, we've taken in that one negative one, and we've done wonders with it. Constructive, constructive feedback. Highly appreciated. Yep, and don't and um, please follow. I almost forgot this. We have an Instagram account, uh, and um, I want to thank every all our new followers that you know we're getting new followers on our Instagram account every day, and you know be on the lookout for. That's where I I post. Um, you know, some, sometimes I'll, we'll post some, you know, general addiction information or stuff that's going on in communities with substance use, um, as well as um, when our new episodes drop, you know. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Episode 27 in the books. <laughs> Keep counting, Bavros. Keep counting. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to lose track soon. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk with you. All right. Will do. Bye. Bye.